You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 83. Is Sony Pictures out of their minds? This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 83 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Ahoy, Brian. As we be recording, it be talk like a pirate day. Yes, brought to you by the letter R. R. <laughs> so, today we have, of course, the streaming wars uh, are going strong, and we have some news from the front. Uh, but before that, we absolutely are going to have to talk about this. The internet exploded yet again because the internet's known to do that. So I uh, was on Facebook uh, the other day and I saw all these people posting about a remake <laughs> of the. I, and I, I was sitting here reading this. I couldn't believe it. The Princess Bride, honestly. Yep, I was one of those who posted about it. Yeah, yes. I, everybody was talking about this, and I and I thought, certainly not. Certainly not. That's that. That couldn't be, couldn't possibly be the truth. This has got to be some sort of fake news. Who in the in the world would do this? And then I saw the word Sony, and I was then I started to get worried a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> With so, all like fifteen Spider-Man franchises that they've done, yeah. <laughs> I was I was starting to worry, about and I was <laughs> like, where is all of this coming from? So of course I jump up online and I start doing some research, and so. For those of you, number one, who are saying remake the what? What's all this about? And then, and and for those who know about this but don't know where all this came from, so basically, this all started with an article in Variety magazine. They were doing a profile on Norman Lear. Now, for those of you who may not, who may be too young to remember Norman Lear, of course, I grew up watching a lot of his sitcoms, All in the Family, The Jeffersons, and. They were doing a profile on Norman Lear because Sony just uh, signed him for a three-year deal. Now, what's interesting about this is Norman Lear is currently 97 years old. Now, he also just uh, recently won uh, an Emmy because they did. A, he produced a, a live version of uh, the Jeffersons and, and All in the, the Family, family. Mm-hmm. and he won the Emmy for it. So, which meant that he is. Now the oldest living person to have won an Emmy. Oh. And so he's just now signed a deal that's going to get him work with Sony until he's 100. He has three years to, uh, let's see, get a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony to EGOT. So I think he could do it. Uh, it's very possible. So <laughs> I am extremely jealous of his both his talent and his longevity. I would love to be able to write at 100 mm-hmm. and continue to be able to produce great a, content. A novagenarium? Yeah, no, novagenarium. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. centigenarium is 100 years old. Right. So there was this article uh, detailing Norman Lear, and one of the things that Norman Lear had done, he was a producer on, on The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. And so in this article, they had interviewed Tony... Uh, Vincent, uh, I'm probably mis- going to mispronounce his last name, but it's it's Vincent Cara. Vincent Cara. He was at one time he was the uh, CEO of Fox Television, and uh, he's now currently the. Uh, a couple of years ago, he got the job to be CEO of Sony Pictures, and 
he was talking about a lot of how young people were, uh, and young uh, directors and writers wanted to work with some of Norman Lear's old projects. And uh, this was the quote, his quote, and I want to read it directly from, uh, from the Variety article. We have so many people coming to us saying, we want to remake this show or that show. Very famous people whose names I won't use, but they want to redo The Princess Bride. Some people want to do animated versions of some of the sitcoms. Not a month goes by when we don't have an idea coming from some very big name wanting to do things with, with Norman Lear. And that's where this whole thing started. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, this gets out. There's there's some big names that he doesn't want to mention that they're like, we want to do a remake of The Princess Bride. We want to work with Norman Lear. We want to work with his material, etc. And on the one hand, I can see why he would want to mention that because, you know, I mean, obviously, it's like everybody wants to work with Norman Lear, us signing him up. He may be 97 years old, but he's still amazing. He can still do the work. And, you know, he's a great get. And I can understand why you want to put that out there about how exciting it is to get a chance to work with Norman Lear and to have him on this contract. But to come out and say, hey, let's re we're going to we're looking at remaking The Princess Bride. When you heard about that, Mandy, what I mean, what was going through your head? I think the same thing everyone else is. I mean, why? Why do you need to? I immediately thought, you know, of Beetlejuice, and if they want to do something with it, why not turn it into a Broadway musical? Put right. it on stage. You know, I'd be okay with that. There are p- plenty of people who want and want to see it, but you know, it doesn't need to be done. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big deal that you know if they did, eh, okay. But it is, you know, it, it's a great movie um but i mean they've remade so many great movies too i just i think that one's done you know i think it's done what it needs to do so if you want to do it do it in a different medium do it on stage do it some other way uh, they were talking about an animated i don't know do an animated series of just inigo montoya being the uh dread pirate roberts go somewhere else with it oh yeah <laughs> and you make a good point as far as like beetlejuice you know making it a, into a musical you know which they did, of course, and it's on. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, making something different out of it, I can under, I can understand something like that. But when I when I read this article, what struck me was now here's somebody who's been in Hollywood for a while, and so, and don't get me wrong, I I couldn't do that job. I certainly don't have the experience, the skill, or anything to be a CEO of a major movie studio, and I'm not even going to pretend that I could. But one thing that, with my limited experience, I, I know a few things. And one of them specifically is, number one, you don't talk about a deal until it's been signed. And if he can't mention the names of the people he's that he's ta- that's talking to him, he certainly can't talk about the deal. He shouldn't have even mentioned that there was going to be any kind of a deal if there's nothing been signed yet. Uh, I understand trying to stir up... Uh, interest and excitement about a project but at the same time and i have a lot of friends who are writers and of course we always give the same advice don't talk about a book deal or you've talked to a studio whatever until you've signed a contract because then you've got to walk it back if it doesn't go through and so yeah until there's a deal there's really nothing to talk about but also you're going to come out and say well we're looking at remaking the princess bride honestly I don't know how he couldn't, uh, he wouldn't have expected the re- response that he got. And again, we're we're talking about Sony Pictures. Their Achilles' heel is how do we deal with fans? You know, because they constantly seem to screw that up. 
and they come out and say we want to remake the princess bride now whether you like that movie or not i mean how are you going to make that movie what's a second movie a reboot going to be able to do that you weren't able to do in the first movie and i mean with that cast and everything else i mean let's be honest in baseball if you hit a home run you don't ask the pitcher for a new pitch Mm-hmm. You know, you'll go, oh, wait a minute, now let's try that again. No, you've hit it out the park. You don't need to do it again. I mean, it was crazy. And as far as thinking about like good remakes, okay, let's look at The Fly. You know, the the first Fly, Vincent Price and everything, pretty much along the same storyline, a scientist trying to build a teleportation machine ends up mixing his body with a fly. So when you update that and then make it this whole, rather than just immediately switching bodies, he's slowly turning into a fly, you've taken the same idea and given it new substance, new depth. And that's just, in remaking The Princess Bride, it's so, I don't even know how to describe it, it's so iconic and so very yeah. sort of original, I guess. Oh, absolutely. In its own right. It's, Yeah. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a ton of things it's got going well. I mean, it's got this great Goldman script. You have this amazing cast of people that you would never, uh, you would never be able to duplicate. Mm-mm. I mean, Andre the Giant, who are you getting to replace him, first of all? And not just because of his size, but just because of his heart and the way he was, I mean, he was, he was this massive person with a massive heart. I mean, ca- recasting that role, I, I, who do you put? Honestly, who could you just in that one role alone? And who are you getting to replace Billy Crystal, <laughs> Carrie Ellis, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Robin Wright? Who I mean, the, who is, who do you get to replace any of those characters? And Chris Mandy, Sarandon? Oh, Chris Sarandon, yeah. And Mandy Patinkin. And, you know, what Mandy Patinkin was going through at that time that gave him that beautiful performance. I know you've probably, you know, the story about, you know, losing his father and then doing that that iconic line, I want my father back. You know, uh, to Rugen. Yeah, Christopher Guest, was, another mm-hmm. another great, you know. Yep. There were so many good things that happened in this movie. It was lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that I think is remake-proof. There's not really... And like you said, you know, in the, with The Fly, there was there was places you could go that the first movie did. And, and the same thing with uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. The Thing, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, a wonderful remake. There was things they could do in that movie yeah. they didn't do in the original. It was a lot closer to the book than the original movie was. And, right. But again, the original movie was very much a product of its time. It was very 1950s, big monster movie, guys in big suits, big scary suits right. uh, kind of look with really big heads. Um, you know those very I was a teenage werewolf kind of <laughs> right kind of moments and both and, and both movies are good for oh, their yeah, own for they're their great. Own thing. Mm-hmm. I mean honestly like I said you may like the princess bride you may not but there's not really any room for improvement that movie there's so not so quotable yeah. I mean it doesn't matter you could quote any part of that movie and yeah. you know your mind immediately goes to exactly in, where in the movie where it is I was playing the blockbuster game with uh with uh, Ryan and Kevin and you were allowed to say one word from a movie and I said mowage and immediately you knew exactly, <laughs> exactly you know exactly what we're talking about and like have fun storming the castle everyone immediately knows what you're talking about oh absolutely mm-hmm. and, and you know and of course Carrie Elwes, uh when he jumps up on Twitter uh when this thing <laughs> yes. Perfect, the perfect line, Beautiful. and of course his his paraphrase of a line that he delivered in the movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's really no place that you know there's nothing lacking in that movie, right? At all, there's no reason to remake it. They're just movies that 
They were great. They are, they're timeless and iconic to the point where you could ru- make a running joke in a recut of Deadpool and everybody got the joke. <laughs> you know, so it's 30 years afterwards. <laughs> exactly. There's no reason to remake this movie. And I'm pretty sure uh, Sony's going to back off of this one. If because honestly, if they double down on this and go, yeah, we're going to remake this. Uh, it's, it's not going to be good for you, but I, I feel bad for Sony because uh, once again, uh, they f- they fumbled it huge. It's uh, just it's needless. I mean, take what you have and put it into comic book form. You know, do a do a graphic novel of Princess Bride. That'd be awesome. Like I said, I wouldn't mind seeing it on Broadway. You know, get some some of the the best composers that we have nowadays to put you know their their spin on it and. As You Wish could be the next iconic song. It could be the next Defying Gravity. It could be the next Seasons of Love. Yeah, it could a lot of those things. Absolutely right. Yeah, if you're going to do if you're going to revisit material, bring something new to it. But to to do a reboot of a movie that doesn't need rebooting at all, that is just as fresh and as much fun and fun to watch and just a great movie. Even today, and it sits on my shelf right behind me. I say there are iconic movies and there are iconic stories. Hamlet is an iconic story. Everyone has their favorite version of Hamlet. You know, that could be Kenneth Branagh. It could be Mel Gibson. You know, and uh, like we were talking about with Little Women. You know, it's an iconic story. So you can have your favorite version of it. This is an iconic film. Yeah. You know, with iconic roles. You know, not just iconic characters, like Hamlet is an iconic character. These are iconic roles. And as you said, Wally Shawn, no one could ever, you know, say inconceivable the way Wally Shawn does. (laughs) No one's ever going to be able to duplicate that. Exactly so. Yeah, this is something that, honestly, Sony needs to back off on this and just pretend like it never happened. If you're willing to do, do that, Sony, I'm willing to do that as well. We'll just forget this whole thing ever happened. And we'll go on with our lives. So let's talk a little bit about uh, streaming services. We're getting uh, closer and closer to November when a lot of these services are going to start kicking off. And so like we talked about before, there's a ton of properties that people are are spending tons of money on to Mm -hmm. get so that they have things to stream. And let's talk about HBO Max. They did a couple of huge purchases. They just spent $425 million to get friends from Netflix. Huh. All right. So, huge money, right? Yeah. But that's not all. They just got, they just bought the Big Bang Theory from CBS. So, HBO was going all, you know, they're yeah. doing like sitcoms. That's, yeah. They're, wow. they're, pull, I mean, everybody's pulling whatever they can pull. So, like mm-hmm. I said, HBO Max. Yeah, four hundred and twenty-five million for Friends, six hundred million for The Big Bang Theory. I mean, we're we're t- at this point, we're getting close to a billion dollars on two shows already. But Netflix, they're spending their money too. They just spent half a billion dollars to get the rights to Seinfeld. Okay, five hundred million dollars. I mean, we're talking. Yeah, these are these are the biggest sitcoms of you know the twentieth century, or well, no, that would have been. 20th and 21st late 20th early 21st centuries yeah that's uh wow (laughs) oh yeah and just announced the peacock network just spent 500 million dollars to get uh, the american office now some of you are probably wondering 
what the heck is the Peacock Network? I haven't heard about this one. NBC. Well, no. It is NBC, mm-hmm. NBC Universal. At the same time they announced they, they bought the office, people were like, what are you buying it for? I mean, you guys don't have a streaming service. He said, oh, well, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going to do a streaming service. We don't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, NBC Universal just announced they're. they're Are they calling in. it the Peacock service? It's, it's called Peacock. Okay. Yes, well, it's actually. Makes, mm-hmm. It's called Peacock. And so, mm-hmm. so they will have their streaming service. So, and they're going to have original content there as well. As far as the, you know, content that's already aired, you know, the, of course, we have The Office. They've gotten some of the old Fox shows like Married with Children, which is going. Okay. They're going to air, and of course they have a, a lot of their own uh, mo- uh, properties like you know Brooklyn Nine Nine and things like this. But they are also getting into the original content. They are doing a. It's not a reboot, but it's sort of a uh, in the same world as the. Uh, if you remember the two thousand four Battlestar Galactica reboot. Mm-hmm. So they're creating a new show that uh, that takes place in that universe. So it's going to be a Battlestar Galactica show. They're going to be doing a a Save by the Bell and Punky Br- uh, Brewster reboot. Hmm. Now, what's interesting about this? And I, well, it's what's different. Let me just say, because okay. these are not necessarily shows I'm going to be that interested in. But they're going to be continuations, so they're going to bring back huh. original actors, like, like Soleil Moonfry. And- yes, she'll be playing mm-hmm. a mother. Uh, a mother, mm-hmm. I think, a mother of three kids. And mm-hmm. so it'll be a different situation. And then mm-hmm. say by the Bell, they said they're going to get a couple of the old cast me- members to come back, you know, as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, They'll realize what, what a crap human being uh, Zach Morris was. <laughs> oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one uh, of my... What is it, college humor uh, does? Zach, Zach Morris, Morris is, is trash. trash. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love it so much. Oh, yeah. So we'll see if... Uh, if he's uh, well, maybe if they bring bring him back, we'll see if he if he, if he's managed to grow up and. Well, his mature. vampire show didn't do well, so I'm sure that's he's, true. Yeah, see, I don't even remember what it was called. <laughs> yeah. So, and on top of this, they've already set up. Uh, they have deals in place with Universal Pictures, Focus Features, and DreamWorks hmm. to create original movies for this channel. So okay. they're coming in full full force. So now we have another army entering the battlefield. This is getting crazy. Yep. You know, I was thinking, you know, when we first started talking about this whole thing, you know, we had, I mean, there were a bunch of stations, but but most of them were like small niche things. Mm -hmm. And and Disney was really kind of pushing things forward. You know, I mean, the war looked like this was Disney versus Netflix, but then all these other players just started uh, roaring in and... And Peacock, I think it's it's going to be starting sometime in 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting to continue to follow this to see how far this goes. You know, who's next? Who's who's next to, to jump in on this? So, But talking about streaming services, uh, Apple Plus Television just announced three new shows. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, is he's going to be directing a, a new series based on a, a comic book. Uh, by Richard uh, Dominguez, it's called El Gato Negro, the Black Cat. So he is a uh, basically he is a uh, crime fighting luchador, <laughs> and so his I, and I I think it, I haven't read the comic, but I think his it was his father or grandfather was also a sort of a crime fighter in his also day. Also a wrestler or 
I I don't know just if he a was crime a crime fighter. Okay, he, he might have you know he might have uh, been. He's going to, I guess, play that Alfred-type character. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Justin Kurtzel, who will be teaming up with uh, Sons of Anarchy star uh, Charlie Hoonan for an international drama called uh, Shartaram, which is based off the uh, Gregory David Roberts best-selling novel. So this is about somebody who, uh, if I recall correctly, he uh, escapes prison in, in Australia and flees to India. And hides out in India. And it's basically dealing in that, you know, in a culture he's not familiar with. And it, and the same thing, we've also got uh, a, a, a series based off of Mosquito Coast, which there was a movie ba- based off this novel. I think it was like 19, I want to say 1986, I believe it was. Uh, Harrison Ford was in it. Really? So this was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, Luther creator Neil uh, Cross is is producing this. Uh, Justin Thoreau is going to be starring in it, which is rather interesting because, of course, his uncle, Paul Thoreau, was the one who wrote the novel. Oh. So that's probably why he, you know... Uh, he wanted to be. He wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. He probably is helping to produce it as well. So, well, one thing I wanted to talk about, because uh, we're getting toward the end, but uh, I did want to mention, since we're talking streaming, uh, I have finished... Uh, the Dark Crystal, and you I, did. I did finish oh. watching it. So, mm-hmm. and I, I did want to talk about that for a moment because, of course, you mm-hmm. you you beat me to that one. So, yep. um, what did you think? Well, Dark Crystal. I mean, everything you know, I'd already talked about. It's everything that you you want from it. Uh, if if you were a fan of the original, you know, you come in with uh, this prior knowledge and you still love it but someone who hasn't seen it it's not going to you know hurt your your uh experience in any way and it's just so beautiful um tell me what did you think about the puppet show within the puppet show that was amazing <laughs> that was <laughs> I, I love i love that mm-hmm. one thing i can definitely and, and i do want to kind of avoid spoilers because if, if you know the geek watchers out there who haven't seen it yet mm-hmm. this is definitely worth a, a view one thing I can definitely say about it is I enjoyed the the series more than I did the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I liked the movie, mm-hmm. and w- the thing about it, of course, was you know since I'm I'm watching this on Netflix. After you watch the movie or watch the the TV series, you can go back and watch the movie or watch the movie first because right. they have the movie, obviously. And I did after I finished watching the series, I I went and watched the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot more story. Oh yeah, in, in the series, which so much makes story, sense. so much character. Yeah, there's so much stuff going on, which mm-hmm. was just amazing. No, were we wrong when we talked about it being Game of Thrones with puppets? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely there. It, it definitely mm-hmm. has that moment. It it is. It's violent. It's bloody. It's yeah. <laughs> Now, I will say this. Let me go at least end with saying, yeah, definitely check this series out. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Uh, as much as of, of a Game of Thrones with puppets thing as it is very much, uh, and it is very much, like I said, it has mm-hmm. that aspect of Game of Thrones. The show that I, that I also finished watching uh, that much more feels to me like Game of Thrones with Carnival Row. Oh, I haven't finished it yet. So, wow, is, you'd think that's really Game of Thrones? Yeah. Huh, okay. Because there's a huge political aspect to this. Huh. What you have Now, if I recall correctly, and the last time we talked, you'd mm-hmm. seen like two, two episodes. Two episodes, yep, I'm still so, here. So yeah, number 3. Oh my god. Yeah, mm. that that's the one that that sucks you in. Okay. I'm t- because you you get a lot of backstory. It's all 
pretty much at that point flashbacks uh, to the war, uh, the battle with the Pact, and you know how that uh, how that affected Philo and and you know the secrets. You know, at, at this point, you know after two episodes, you know that he's hiding something, mm-hmm. and uh, you find out what, and it's major. Okay. Uh, I really now here, here's one thing I, I wanted to talk about because, like I said, I've, I I know that this has gotten some mixed reactions. I know some people who really love this show, and I'm one of those people who really love that show. Uh, there's some people who are not fans of it at all, hmm. and I'm I'm rather curious about it. I mean, as a writer, I'm uh, of course you know if I really like something and someone in the audience doesn't. That interests me because obviously if I'm producing content for people, being able to judge what, what audiences like is, is really important. Now, at the same time, of course, as a writer, you need to write for yourself and find your audience and not try to cater to your audience. But it always fascinates me when two people see the same bit of work and their reactions are completely different. I will say this, most of my writer friends, almost all of them, I haven't talked to everybody who's seen it. But pretty much all the writer friends that I have right now who've seen it have been gushing over this. Mm. And I can definitely see why. For me, what I, what I find fascinating about this series, besides the fact that there's... And this was... Uh, and we can go to the IGN review. One of the things they, that... One of their cons on it they didn't like so much was there there were so many different threads going on uh, in the in the show. They said, you know, if they had focused on one of these threads and fully developed it, as they put it, it would have been a better show. And I could not disagree more with that because I, if this were a two-hour movie, yeah, stick with it one thread, two threads. You don't want to go off on, on tangents and things like that. I get that. With this TV show... Because you have so much room to explore, you should. To be honest, I what I loved about this show was it covered so much ground. And I don't feel like it it meandered when it did it. There was so many... I mean, obviously, issues with race, you know, are a huge part of this show. But there are several different aspects to race that they, that they look at. They look at things like be, trying to pass... You know, where you, you don't present yourself as your race, you know, and you and you're trying to pass to look like, you know, you know, the majority mm-hmm. and also things about, you know, being ashamed about who you are or, you know, and, and other things with race, like, you know, having to deal with being the other and not and and things that you find very important and, you know, are very important to your culture, basically being a spectacle for other cultures you know and and things about appropriation and and all this stuff. I mean they don't they don't just talk about prejudice, but they cover a a huge spectrum just on this topic, which you can do on a television show. And it was like I said just on that alone I found fascinating, but all the machinations about uh in parliament and and the power, you know, that whole thing about the power going back and forth and you know what those who were politically minded were willing to do and how far they were willing to go to increase their power. Amazing. And there's a lot of back and forth and weird things that happen over that, that aspect. But there are so many different things going on in this, uh, in this series. It was, it's the story of it is so rich and there's, I mean, there's a lot of background stuff that they don't go into specifically in the show itself. But I mean, there's, 
you know, you can see some of this stuff online, you know, videos about, you know, the two continents and, and how all this developed. I mean, so you can dip into it. You know, when I saw this, one thing I said was, you know, this would make a great tabletop role-playing game because there's so ma- there's so many different types of characters that you could play and things like that. You know, it's it's interesting that it broke down that way. But after I said that, I noticed on Geek and Sundry that the creator of the series, and this was a guy who had this idea in film school and sat on it for years, and then now he's able to put this out. He, of course, produces the series for for Amazon. But I saw him on Geek and Sundry literally running a tabletop game with four people <laughs> based in that world. And because that's how deep it is that you could you could do that. And so yeah, if you go to Geek and Sundry and you and you look for Carnival Row, you will see the creator of the show being the dungeon master with four <laughs> players playing different characters in that world and having an adventure. It's brilliant. So I wonder if there's any plans to actually put that game out and to do a source book. Reminds or me of when Sci-Fi did Defiance. Yeah. Yeah, where you had uh, the TV show and you had the online game and the online game influenced the TV show and the TV show influenced the online game. Right. Yeah, I would love to, I'd love to see if they, you know, for them to put that as a table. Because like I said, after seeing eight, the eight episodes, the, the full first season, yeah, I can see that this is definitely a world that would be interesting to create a character and explore. Because there's a, like I said, there's a lot of things that are going on in the show, and I think that's one reason why, as a writer, uh, many of us can fully appreciate this show because of the depth of the characters, the depth of the setting, and also many times when you moments when you think they're about ready to to do the cliche and they twist it and make it interesting, uh, and that happens more than once. There are a lot of times where I'm like, oh, I know where this is going, and they're like, no, no, we're not gonna. We're not going down that well-worn uh, road. We're going to we're going to take the interesting choice, and that happens more than once. So I kind of wonder if maybe it's because, I, I, and I think it may be similar to you know a football player watching a football game sees more going on than than just somebody you know somebody who doesn't who, know anything about football. Who, yeah. Who, who basically may know a lot about stats and things like that, but. Uh, because they never played the game on a professional level, there's just certain things that they wouldn't get that a pro player would. Or, you know, an actor watching uh, watching a play. You know, there are things that you're going to notice uh, and things you will appreciate that the, just, you know, your average audience members just not going to be able to appreciate because they've never been on stage. And so a lot, I think for a lot of a lot of us who are writers, we can definitely appreciate a lot of, like I said, the time spent on the background, the time spent developing characters, the rich arcs that many characters get. Your, your two main characters, both of them have these incredible arcs, but even many of the minor characters go through these amazing arcs as well. I mean, there is, I can understand where some people say, man, this is just trying to do too much, but I don't think it is because what it's doing Yes, it's doing a lot more than your average show, even television show, would do. But it's done so well that it works. It is, to me, it's uh, it's an achievement in storytelling. It's something we haven't seen in a long time. And so, if you've not seen it, definitely check it out. And I, I definitely want to talk to you, uh, Mandy, when 
you do get that chance to finally see all of them because I'm really interested in seeing talking to you and finding out what you th- what you thought about it. Uh, I've been kind of pushing Kevin, our friend Kevin, to watch it. Mm-hmm. He was starting to avoid it because of a lot of the uh, some of the reviews that he read. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I would really be interested in hearing, you know, Kevin's view on it. Uh, because, again, you know, especially how high uh, I am on it, it surprised me that there were some people who didn't like it. And it does fascinate me to to, to go down that road and see why, you know, something that to me feels like it's, I would almost say, as close to a perfect story as I've seen in a, in a hmm. while. Okay. Uh, and done with an amazing amount of skill and technique and... I mean, I really enjoyed it, but some, you know, some people, it's just not their cup of tea, and I, I understand that, but it's certainly something, uh, as we go along, that I uh, that I definitely want to, to explore, but, um, of course, this series, I can't wait for season two. They had already greenlit season two before they aired season one, because that's just how much uh, Amazon was... When they when they saw the when they saw the season one, they saw their you know when they previewed it you know for the producers and for Amazon, they were like, "This is amazing." Like the boys. They're yeah. Like, they're like, "Yep, just yeah, go ahead and start start the other one." Go ahead and get going. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, you got Amazon uh, Amazon doing the uh, you know the boys as well, and they're really bringing out quality content. And uh, I mean, with that, and of course, Good Omens. Amazon is certainly going to be a force to reckon with, and I can't wait to see what they do next, for sure. And so with that said, we come to the end of Episode 83 of the Geek Watch Podcast. Thank you for listening, and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. For Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the Geek Watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the GeekWatch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The GeekWatch podcast is a Hanging J production.